Hey friends, welcome to the second part of this week's moment with Miranda. Thanks for tuning into this moment where you and I have been speaking together about living under the influence. Do you remember when that little phrase WWJD was so popular? Seemed like everyone had the bracelets, the bumper stickers, the t-shirts. And we asked ourselves and one another, particularly when we were facing a challenging situation, what would Jesus do? We seem to think that just by wearing a bracelet, we could be influenced to act differently. And you know, in some ways it worked. It really gave us a recognition and at least a pause to consider what Jesus would in fact do in that situation. And like I said, it worked until it became a joke, not just among Christians, but also in the world. And in and of itself, that is not a bad question. But I think we could have first asked ourselves a deeper one, perhaps. Not so much what would Jesus do, but what would Jesus be? It was from being the beloved of God that Jesus was in fact able to do. It was from being the express image of God, the nature of God, what it meant to be God fleshed out. It was from that place that Jesus could do the works of God. And he's created you and I to be the same. We are to be righteous, to be complete, to be rooted and built up in faith in Christ. It is from this being that I'm influenced. I'm not influenced to do because I must, but I'm influenced because it's who I have become. I have become like Christ, a bearer of his image and his nature. I have become influenced by him. When the prophets so often wrote about the day of a new covenant, they spoke of God having a people and him being their God. And they spoke in the way that this would happen truly. It was by having a new heart and a new spirit. God having a people was not a new concept to Israel. They knew they were God's chosen people. We read several times through the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, it says, For you are a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God has chosen you to be a special people unto himself, above all the people on the face of the earth. He chose to place his name on them. They were his peculiar treasure. He promised to dwell in them, to be their God, and they would be his. He wanted them, and he wanted them to want him. He wanted to have that place of highest influence. The very first command that he gave the people of Israel was, you will have no other gods before me. And the law of commandments set out the course for which they were to do this. And that course of doing, it was right and it was perfect and it was necessary, but it was also faulty. Why was it faulty? Because of the nature of the ones that were doing it. 
they were his people by name because he said they were, but they were not in fact yet his people by nature. And no amount of doing the right things outwardly could make up for the inward lack that they had, even though many were genuine. They still could not be perfect and complete and freely able to approach him because what they were working with was imperfect and it was incomplete. It was not blameless like was necessary. So we know that this is why God sent Jesus Christ to not just have a family in name, but also a family in nature. To not just be a people called Christians, but to actually be what a Christian means. To become a Christian. To become like Christ. A follower of Christ. There was no way that this could actually happen simply by external influence. But thousands of years of the law proved that at the heart, men were still evil. They were still lovers of themselves and lovers of their own truth. At the core of who they were, they were still not able to be holy like God said, because that being holy had to come from a new nature and a new character. The only way to truly become that was to be a follower of Christ, to be like him and like his father. And that was only able to happen by being made one with him and his father by internal influence. And that required a new heart and a new spirit, like the prophets said what would happen. And I think about men that encountered Jesus as he began to teach this new and this living way that was going to come about through the new birth. What he was speaking was so foreign to what they had expected. We have to consider that they expected this military Messiah. And here was a man saying that they had to become like children in order to receive the kingdom of God that he was bringing. They had to be born again. It's no wonder that Nicodemus came to Jesus in the night and he told Jesus that he recognized there was no way that Jesus could do what it was he was doing except that he came out from God. And it must have been a shock then when Jesus responded and said to Nicodemus, he said, unless you are born again, unless you too are born of God or born out of God, literally born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. The kingdom that Christ was bringing was not the answer to Rome's oppression and domination that the Jewish people were looking for, like he had done previous in the Old Testament, releasing them and delivering them from bondage of oppressors that were national oppressors, but rather the kingdom that Christ was bringing was an answer to sin's oppression and domination. It was an answer to that division of spirit, that division of soul. It was the way that God would truly get his people and he could be their God. It was the way where 
he could have his purchased possession, his special treasure, a family like him, by giving them his nature, and his nature would become their number one influence. And I love that the New Testament writers are committed to us understanding what this new nature is like. Paul was committed in his letters to the churches that he loved to tell them, this is how you are going to be like Christ. It was Paul's time that he spent in Antioch with the believers there where they were first called Christians, these Christ followers. And it's through these writings of Paul that we can see how to be Christians like God intended, not to do this Christianity, Thing, but to actually become like Christ in the world, flesh out again into the world. Let me say here that I am by in no means saying that you and I are little gods. Not at all, but we have been given the DNA of God, the divine nature attributes where we are like him and we are bearing his image and his name again into the earth like Christ did. Christ was the forerunner. And it's no wonder then when we consider all of this, that there was such opposition to the teaching of this new covenant and this new nature alone. This teaching that Christ, what he did, what he said was enough. Consistently, everywhere that Paul went, there was opposition to his teaching. There were Pharisees, there were Sadducees, there were religious men of the day that would speak against him. There were also men that were known as Judaizers. They were set on the Gentiles, not simply receiving the finished work of Christ for salvation, but now also demanding that there had to be the doing or the adherence to the law like they did. And over and over again, Paul warns his followers of this influence. Really, in almost every letter that he writes, he's telling his dear children, he's like, watch out for those who would try to alienate you from the life of God in Christ. And really every church was given this clear direction to beware of any who would try to add to or to take away from the simplicity that is Christ and believing in him. I really like the time that Paul takes with this particular subject in the book of Galatians. And you can really hear the heart of a father to his children as you read his words. He starts off by saying in Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, he says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly removed from him that has called you into the grace of Christ to another gospel. In fact, he takes a really strong line and he says, it's not a gospel at all. It's actually a perversion of truth that has been found in Christ alone. Paul finds that there have been those who have infiltrated the church teaching that salvation through Christ's work on the cross was not enough. But now that they also must be circumcised and do the works of the law. 
Paul writes, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? He asks, I want to know, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing and faith? Would you begin in the Spirit but continue to follow now in the flesh? Have I suffered so much for the sake of this gospel in vain? I feel like you can really hear the apostles' kind of distress that such lies are being believed by the Galatians, his dear children in the Lord, and he begins to make for them his case for the new covenant and what he has faithfully and painstakingly taught them all the while that he's been there. It's almost like he can't believe the influence that they're now allowing themselves to live under. And so then we see that he encourages them, although he takes this strong stand, he doesn't continue to berate them, so to speak, but he encourages them. He says, stand fast in the liberty that Christ has made you free with. Don't be entangled again to a yoke of bondage. It's not circumcision. It's not uncircumcision that makes any difference in Christ. It is simply faith that works by love. I really love this phrase, faith working by love, because it literally means a faith that is made effective or energized by love. Maybe we could even say that it's a faith under the influence of love. See, Paul understood that our acceptance in the beloved and every part of the effectual working of the new birth happens out of being loved. It's fruit of love. This is why he prayed that the Ephesian church would be rooted and grounded in love. It's in knowing that we are loved that we have influence in us to be loved to other people. It's by knowing the love of God through Christ that I have confidence to believe that God is with me no matter how I'm feeling or the experiences and the circumstances that are trying to influence me in my decisions. It is completely from the love of God that the new birth and the new heart and the new spirit have been born and received their power. So it's no wonder to me that the enemy would try to get the Galatians' eyes off of Christ and his work and onto themselves. It's no wonder because he does the very same thing to me and you today. Paul said to them, he said, you are running so well. Who hindered you from following wholly after Christ, from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him that calls you. Now this word persuasion, it means deception. And it's like Paul is asking, who are you allowing to influence you with these seemingly reasonable lies, but that are actually deception? Whose voice are you listening to? Doesn't this sound exactly like what the serpent did to Eve in the garden? The enemy's tactics were nothing new. The words sounded reasonable. They sounded desirable, but they were a trap. It was a whisper of another's influence. It was the whisper of another gospel. So notice what Paul says here. He says that this deception or this persuasion does not come from him that calls you. 
To call here not only means to be called out by name, but it's interesting to be aware and take note of the tense of the verb that's used here. It's the present active tense. And that means that it is a present, right now, active call. It's not a past call or a past name or an afterthought. It's not a future call or a future name. It's a present call. It's a present calling out by name. In John 10 verses 2 to 4, Jesus says, He that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he puts out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Again, here the same word in tense is used. It is a present active calling. The Galatians were not just being called by name. They were being called to participate in the new and living way through Jesus now. The Judaizers, they were trying to get them to keep the old way. In essence, they were trying to put their name on the Gentile believers when Christ had a new name that he was calling them by. The Jews were trying to get them to be called by their name. To listen to the Jews who still believed they had to keep the law, they would have been listening to a voice of the past. The old influence, rather than the present voice that was summoning them out of their world of sin and into the fold of the new family and the new people of God. It's like I said earlier, Israel had a name. It was a name given by God. It was God's name. God put his name on them. Again, they were a peculiar people for God. Distinct from other nations, God said, you will be a people. And in Christ, God was making them a people, not only in name, but he was also making others who were not a people and did not have a name a part of them as well. Through one new man in Christ, where there was no more difference between the two. It would be love that would call them both, and faith in that love poured out on them by the Holy Spirit would cause them to be able to live under a brand new influence. They simply had to believe it. There was nothing else that they could add to Christ. So Paul warned them, he said, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. This persuasion that you are embracing is not from the one who calls you by name because a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. We know what leaven does. It makes bread rise. It's an activating, influencing agent to change the state of the dough. In Mark 6, we read the story where Jesus and the disciples crossed the Sea of Galilee, but it says that they forgot to take bread with them. And Jesus said, pay attention and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the disciples, they reasoned among themselves saying, he said this because we forgot to bring bread with us. Which when Jesus perceived, he said, oh, ye of little faith. Why do you reason among yourselves that you've brought no bread? Don't you remember the miracle of the 5,000 and how many loaves you had left? 
don't you remember the 4,000 and all that you had left from that? Kind of like, hey guys, a little bit of bread is nothing. Don't you remember what I did with little? What you need to pay attention to is to avoid the leaven or the doctrine of the Pharisees. The leaven was the doctrine or look out for their influence. And what was the influence of the Pharisees? It was unbelief. What was the influence of the Judaizers? It was unbelief. What was the influence of the serpent in Eden? It was unbelief. What, friends, is the influence of the world and the enemy today? It is unbelief. And unbelief is dangerous because it brings a doubt. And doubt left unchecked steals our faith and robs the influence of the Spirit in our heart of believing. And if my heart doesn't believe, then my mouth won't speak and my hands won't do. And instead of being an agent of change in the earth for the glory of God, I'll end up forfeiting my place of influence. I'll be influenced in a negative way. And I'll never live out the whole reason that my name was called out to be like him, to be one with him, and to live under the highest influence of the one who loves me most. Friends, it's no wonder Jesus was zealous over what the disciples believed. It's no wonder that Paul took such a strong stance in defending Christ and reminding his children in the Lord, guys, you're righteous in him. You're complete in him. And you walk in the spirit. And those that walk in the spirit Remember, it's like Noah, righteous, complete, walking with God. Those who walk in the Spirit are under the influence of the Spirit, and they will bear the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. They will bear the very nature of God. This is the influence that you and I are created to thrive under and to reproduce. It's the high call that we're invited to live into. It's the high call that Paul continued to pursue. Not the call to be a Pharisee, not what he knew, but the high call, the present active calling by name to be the people of God, living under his influence and displaying his nature to the world around them. Paul was invited to do that. The disciples were invited to do that. And you and I are invited the same. So in this moment today, that is the influence that I really want to live my life under. How about you? Would you agree with me today? And would you take that strong stance and that strong determination that in nothing will you be afraid and in nothing will you be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? For it is the power of God unto salvation 
to anyone who would believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And it is through the gospel of Jesus Christ that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It's through the gospel of Jesus Christ that you and I are made complete in him and that we are seated with him in heavenly places. And it's through the gospel of Jesus Christ that we go about and we walk with God through the power of his spirit, under the divine influence and full of his nature, in his name and with his power. Would you live under the influence with me today? I want to thank you so much for joining me for this moment with Miranda. I pray that it blesses you, that you are encouraged, and that you will join me again next time as we take another moment together. God bless you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are within us and you are helping us to believe for greater things, that those of us who freely reach out and receive the gift of righteousness, the gift of no condemnation, that abundance of grace that we now can reign in life through Jesus Christ and what he has done. I thank you that even right now, life doesn't get to dictate to me who I am, what I believe, how I will react. But now the truth of your word, the truth of my identity in you now becomes my greatest influence and I reign over life by that truth. Heavenly Father, I thank you that this is the Spirit's power within me and the resurrection power raised me from the dead and now quickens my mortal body to believe your truth and to be changed from glory to glory by the Spirit of God every single day. And so I thank you, Father, for teaching me faithfully, for teaching my friends faithfully to live under the new influence, the influence of Holy Spirit. And I thank you for this power in Jesus' name. Amen.